here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM 105 FM in Mokopane. 12 minutes after one, as I said, we, we've got a jam-packed show today and I'm going to just ask that we try and get to your calls as quickly as possible. The lines will be open for a conversation that is going to be centered around Margana Massacre, 891 I'm really delighted to have on the show to, to unpack it all since really that um, 2012 massacre, um, where we are, how far we've come and what it means for all of us. Um, Atandi Wasaba is a co-author of a book called We Are Going to Kill Each Other Today, The Marigana Story. And she's also a data editor at Mail and Guardian. She joins me on the line. Atandi, well, thank you so much for, for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pamela. Thank you so much for wanting to talk about this. Yeah. Um, and not just as a commemoration, but something that South Africans, we still, there's still a long fight to go. You know, we we were lamenting with our team that um, in as much as we cannot ignore this discussion this weekend today, there's something to be said about how there is just a flood of of conversations around Marikana only at this time. So come January, nobody talks about the Marikana widows. Nobody talks about the children. Nobody talks about the community. Nobody talks about the massacre. And and what that says about us as society, that we we often just flip back to using communities and their 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 problems as our own agenda for our own agendas, and and what impact it has on them. So maybe my question is in a roundabout way, how is the community holding up right now? How do they feel when they see us, you know, sort of all talking about them only at this time? One of the things I think I've had um, as a privilege to, to, to do during the years that I've covered uh, Marigana from right back eight years ago is to build relationships with some of the people who have who were part of uh, the strike and the people who were affected, which were the widows. Been able to build those relationships with them, and every now and again we will phone each other, we will chat, we'll check up, I will take a drive there and I'll visit them. Uh, one of them loves cooking me <laughs> lunch on Sundays um, wow. and I'll drive there and we'll sit and we'll talk. Like, and that's the kind of relationship we've built over the years. They've opened up their lives, they've opened up their hearts for me to be able to write about their story. But somehow we transcended that and have just continue to talk about just our ordinary lives and the, and the things that actually ordinary friends talk about. Mm. And life there hasn't changed much. Uh, the town is still the same business that it was prior to um, the massacre and the strikes. Um, people still live in those very small spaces, um, houses, um, some of the women are working on the mine. Some of them work underground. Um, but nothing much has changed. And because of the relationships I've, I've gotten, I've been also able to cover a lot of the stories that happen in between mm. January and August. Mm. And a lot of the, a lot of, some of the miners who were injured and 
can essentially not go back underground, um, I speak to them and they tell me about the, the, the difficulties that they're currently battling with. Um, they had issues as well with coronavirus when um, um, uh, the mine had to close down. Um, and they were concerned that they were not going to get paid anymore because the, man, the mine doesn't have uh, money to pay for them because they're not essentially working, but the mine is obliged to still pay them a certain uh, amount. Those were the, the agreements. Um, so they do feel that people don't want to go there anymore, that journalists don't want to cover it anymore. Um between January and before August or mm. after August. Mm. And that is a sore point. It, it, it feels like what happened to them was great for us journalists at that time because we could write about it, we could be part of this huge thing that had happened in our country. But after that, what, what are we doing? What have we done to continue to, to write about it? They do, there is that sense of feeling. And I, and I think... Um, the speech by AMCO president kind of carries that as well. It's not only about the journalists uh, going back there to cover um, what is currently happening, the ordinary lives of people after a massacre, but also government itself Mm. and the responsibility that they have that have been still not fulfilled till this day to the community there. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk a lot about compensations for for the lives lost as well and a lot of attention to, to that number. But there are people who didn't die, who were injured, and we, we don't talk a lot about them. We don't talk about how their lives have continued, whether they got any compensation. Mm. And my understanding is that no, they were not compensated. How difficult it is to pick up the pieces and go back to work, as you're saying. Mm. So, currently, there has been a certain level of discussion uh, that's gotten as far as let's decide uh, how much a wound to the leg will cost Mm. the state. And there's been constant back and forth. You know, we've written a a number of those stories in the past year and a bit where those conversations with the president, um, President Cyril Ramaphosa said that compensation will be sorted out but the lawyers and, and those involved have been saying it's just a constant back and forth. It's const- it seems that the state lawyers are saying, no, those are not the right prices, those, that, those numbers are not correct, and bringing in actual um, uh, accountants to calculate all of this. So there has been some level of payment to some of, 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 of the injured uh, where it has been agreed upon that this cost it's still weird to talk about this in this in this in this kind of language mm. that the person who's lost a leg, this is how much it will cost. Yes. But essentially that's 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 the discussion that that's happening at, at at on on the state attorney level that this is what this costs. Yeah, it's it's um, almost like there saying, has been some payment. It, it's that thing about Sorry. okay, well a finger costs this much and an entire leg or half a leg is that much. I mean it's bizarre. It is so bizarre because essentially at the end of the day it is coming to terms with in, to terms with how do we compensate people that you wrongly shot aside of the lives that you took away from family those people who can no longer for instance have children mm-hmm. because of the areas that they were shot at 
those people can no longer go back to any kind of work. How do you want to pay somebody 100,000 rand and they can never go back to work? Or how do you then classify that a person who can go to work because they can get an amputated, their leg was amputated, is different from somebody who uh, now has to, doesn't have an arm or can't use their arm properly. It's, it's the most bizarre thing, but we have to get to grips to, it's not just actually about the money only. Yeah. There's a lot more that needs to be done for this community, which yeah. still has not been done. Yeah. A, 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 a simple apology, and a deep-hearted apology from the likes of Ria Piecha, Umbombo, Unatim Tetwa, our president, the Northwest Deputy uh, um, Police Head, William Bem, those are the head hunters around this. Those things have we haven't even gotten there. We're still just talking about compensation right now. Yeah, Atandi Wasaba is a co-author of the book called "We Are Going to Kill Each Other Today: The Marigana Story." She's also a data editor at Mail and Garden. We'll continue this conversation after this. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM one hundred five FM in Mukopane. We're commemorating Margana today, and I'm in conversation with Atandi Wasaba, co-author of We Are Going to Kill Each Other Today, The Margana Story, and she's also a data editor at Mail and Garden. She's been following the story since 2012 and has had a massive journey with the community there, as she said earlier, that, you know, they've become quite acquainted and um, they serve her lunch. I think it's absolutely beautiful and so on. But, you know, I was thinking, uh, Atandi, with that, as you so poignantly put out, that it's not actually about only the money, right? There, There is a sense I have that even with the inquiry that we had, the country and particularly this community that we're referring to now has not had closure. None, none of us has had closure. That's why it becomes a sore point every time, right? We We haven't had closure because there are still things that are still sketchy. And I'm wondering how the community feels about the gaps, the gaps in the story, the gaps that are not filled, that that need some investment, that need will and intent to fill them in. How do they feel about those gaps? Well, I think one of the things that does need to happen is that we need to have more conversations with the community. Uh, on different platforms. But currently, I think a lot of, especially the widows, mm. especially, and I'm not speaking about every single widow, yes. a lot of those that I've, I, I'm still in contact with, um, they want closure. Mm. They want, this thing has happened. They get that. They need closure. And closure comes with heartfelt apology mm. and an explanation of what, certain people meant when they said certain things, Yes, what certain uh, uh, commands that were given, what did those mean, what did you want to get at the end of the day and if and if those people that I mentioned earlier and others could come forward to those communities and actually have an open, heartfelt conversation and a real apology, I think that will start to heal the wounds are still gaping open and every year Every year, some of the widows are like, "Don't call me on this day." I actually don't call mm. them on that um, yeah. on, on yeah. that day. I don't. I yeah. don't. I don't make it a thing for them because yeah. it is 
it breaks them every time. We, and we, it is painful yeah. for them every time. Yeah, we, we also took that, that position that this is not the time to call them. Can I ask you mm. a decision that you took on the cover of the book? We're going to kill each other today. Can we talk about that? Because that image leaves me every time with so much that I, I need to, to digest about the day. Tell me about the decision you guys took on using that particular picture for your cover. I think that particular picture will live as a moment for many South Africans. Um, it was taken by the brilliant Leon Siddiqui, and he was part of the book that we had put together because it had picture essays as well. Um, but that picture, it, it exemplifies the Okay, I'm going. To, I'm going to just uh, ask uh, Tandiwa. We we can't hear you. Sure. Let's just try and sort out your line while I, I take a voice note quickly. Uh, hi, Pamelo, and your guest. Uh, just about two questions to your guest. What what would it do politically for the ANC, especially the top dogs, uh, the president, uh, the previous minister Natim Tetwa, Ria Piecha? and Jacob Zuma, while including uh, the provincial ANC in the Northwest. Uh, what would we do to them politically if they had attended the, the commemoration yesterday? And secondly, my question again is, um, what should the people uh, around Marikan expect the ANC bigwigs to, uh, when they come and canvass for their votes uh, come the next election, I think around about next year, what should they expect them, the ANC, to say to the people in Marikana? Okay, this is Tlaba from the Eastern Cape. Thank you. An excellent call, Tlaba. They're asking really, really important questions. Uh, Atandi, I hope we're on a better line with you. Did you get to hear what he was asking? He was asking more around the election next year. Yeah. Um, what should the ANC expect from the people? Um, Atandiwe? Can you hear me? Now I can. Yes, now I can. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry about That's this. That's fine. Um, so, they, just to quickly respond to that question, I think... The people of Marikana have begun to to make their voices in terms of who they decide to vote for. Mm. If we look at the past the past couple of the past two three elections uh, that we've been through, ANC numbers have dwindled. Um, I remember in about two elections ago uh, being at Marikana and people did not want the ANC office there. Um, they are making their decisions very vocal. And I think the ANC not properly resolved. We expect to see a further decline in their numbers. Yeah. Yeah. For the data, you see a lot of the trends uh, in numbers of, of, of the elections. And even looking at the previous elections, that is exactly what, what is happening. Mm. Those numbers are dropping. Yeah. And they're going to people who are going to their community who are saying that 
we are fighting with you. We are fighting for you um, in this fight. And then as for the image that would, you know, if if the the, perp, the, the people that you mentioned earlier were to go to Margana and, and appear, the question was, how will they be received and how will that politically change the narrative? Mm-hmm. I think firstly, there was some talk a little while ago of some of the ANC heads to go to Margana. Um, that did not necessarily materialize uh, because you you do not want to go there disrespectfully mm-hmm. as if you own that place, as if you own that narrative, and now you're going to go in there as you, as you please. It has, to, it has to start from a process of having a discussion with some of the people or the leaders in those communities and saying that this is what we want to do. This is how we want to address the people. This is, the, this is what we want to give them, the closure, the answers, uh, the, the, the apology. You have to start there. You, you, ANC politicians cannot just simply show arrive up. in Marikan and show up and expect people to say, oh, hail that ANC, great that you came. No, they can't. They have to start a proper process in dealing with this properly and possibly then in healing those wounds and showing that you are actually, you've seen what was wrong and you do want to fix it. Then you start rebuilding from there. That is that's that's my view on how. Yeah. It's- I'm, I'm going to ask that we 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 beg you to return because I think there is so much we were still starting to scratch the surface about that particular photograph and and I have many many questions about that photograph. I have many questions about the gentleman that stands there. So for those who don't know what the photograph is, is of the miners sitting down and there is a, a very famous gentleman image um, who's wearing the green blanket. Correct. Who's wearing the green blanket? And and there is a lot to be said about that particular individual. There's a lot to be said about everything else that 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 panned out after that particular conversation that we see there. So I I, I will implore you, please, to indulge us and let's continue this conversation uh, at another time, but sooner rather than later. I would love that. Thank you so much, Pamela, for I, this time. I appreciate it, Andy uh, Atandi Wesaba, who is a co-author of "We Are Going to Kill Each Other Today: The Marikana Story," and she's also a data editor at the Mail and Garden. One thirty now. Let's go to Uzi Lesaku for the latest in headlines.